The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with getting the November rally back on track. Stocks grinding out gains and looking to do the same again today. Futures right now, they are in the green. Also this morning, we are remembering Charlie Munger as tributes pour in for the late Berkshire Hathaway vice chair, We look back at his life and his lasting legacy on the conglomerate and on investors. Also this morning, we are seeing bets on a rate cut. Just how soon billionaire Bill Ackman thinks the Fed may start pulling back on its tightening policy. Plus, let's make a deal. Billionaire investor Mark Cuban reportedly selling a majority stake of the Dallas Mavericks to Miriam Adelson. And the end of the road. Apple apparently looks to pull the plug on its credit card partnership with Goldman Sachs. It's Wednesday, November the 29th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Collins. Get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with the check on U.S. stock futures after the markets were able just to squeeze out some gains yesterday. But right now, you're seeing a pretty strong move to the upside in the futures. We always say it's early, but as you can see right now, it looks like the Dow would open up more than 100 points higher. The S&P and the NASDAQ both Firmly in the green this morning. We'll continue to watch the futures all morning long. We're also checking the bond market, taking a look at yields for the benchmark 10-year right now at 4.29. We can see to see those yields come down in recent days. And we also continue to watch oil ahead of tomorrow's OPEC Plus meeting, taking a look at the oil market this morning. We're seeing WTI trading at about 77.33 a barrel, up more than 1%. Brent crude at basically 82.60, also up more than 1%. Right now, some of this action we're seeing is on reports from Reuters that group members, they continue to hold talks on policy for next year, adding another delay to the meeting is not expected. Again, you're seeing a strong move to the upside for oil prices. WTI and Brent more than a percent higher. Natural gas down one and a half percent. All right, we continue with your morning money check right now. We're also watching the dollar. It's continuing to slide along with Treasury yields on growing expectations. The Fed is done with policy tightening and may start cutting interest rates next year. And. That's a view shared by billionaire investor Bill Ackman. Bloomberg reporting the founder of Pershing Square Capital Management now believes a potential Fed rate cut could come as soon as the first quarter. For much more on this, let's bring in Vince LaRusso, CEO of Clo Capital, with more than a billion dollars in assets under management. Vince, good morning. Good morning, Frank. How are you doing today? So give us a sense. What do you think about Bill Ackman's take that we could see cuts as soon as Q1? Agree or disagree? Agree. You know, the um, you know, frankly, that's kind of the perspective that we've had at Cloud Capital now for a little while as we think about the impact of higher interest rates across the economy, specifically the consumer. Um, we're just not sure that the consumer can handle higher rates for a very long time. Um, obviously, the Fed had a mission to accomplish in terms of getting their grips around inflation. Uh, but the growth issues that are starting to emerge in the economy um, may force the Fed to move sooner rather than later specifically regard to consumer credit and some of the charge-offs and write-offs and delinquencies that we're seeing um, in access to credit. 
And uh, we think that, yeah, rates are going to probably have to go down sooner rather than later, probably ahead of market expectations. And that puts us in the Bill Ackman camp this morning. All right. So you're in the camp with Bill Ackman. How does that shape your broader view of not only equities, but also bonds? Yeah, good question, Frank. I mean, what we're trying to do at Cloud Capital is perform fundamental research and we're active managers. And right now we find ourselves in a position where we can try to play offense and defense. Um, So despite the concerns about the economy slowing and some of the consumer credit issues that we see emerging, we think there are really interesting areas to be long in the equity markets. So we can find dynamic growth type stories, um, specifically small cap area, which has done really well in November, but has underperformed greatly for, for several years now. Um, so we're able to play offense with equities that have been really beaten down in terms of valuations. You know, as we all know, the FANG dynamic or the Magnificent Seven have carried the S&P higher. But there are many areas of the market that look really well valued to us from a long investor's perspective. Um, the way we play okay. offense and defense with a bit of a hedge fund mentality at Cloud Capital is to own some defensive stocks as well. Things that have high recurring cash flows and revenues, subscription models, big moats on the business. Um, so we can own defensive long positions like gold miners and utilities. Um, and then, of course, I manage a long short strategy, CBLS at Cloud Capital, and we have a short book. So that's a wonderful way, you know, we think to play defense um, as potentially market prices decline in some okay. areas of the economy. You know, you're, you're leading me into this. We do want to talk about uh, this ETF ticker CBLS. To be clear, that is your product. You actually created this ETF. It has both long and short positions. I, w- I want to focus on the short positions for a minute. You talked about the consumer just a second ago. Some of those short positions are Target, Best Buy, also Pool Corp. Obviously, these are areas that are very consumer facing. The fact that you want to be short on these positions, what does that tell you? Or what should pe- how should people view your view on the consumer and the consumer's ability to continue spending? Yeah, Frank, well, that's really just the overlap of our broader market view that the consumer durable section in particular is under some pressure. You know, consumers out of COVID had spent a lot of the excess savings that they've had. Now they're grappling with higher interest rates on credit cards, on auto loans, on mortgages, having to repay student loans. So we're looking for those areas of the economy where the consumer might be inclined to take down credit to make purchases. And frankly, they did that in many areas. So if you look at an example like Harley or Pool Corp, So those were areas where consumers spent a lot of money during COVID. And now as they grapple with higher interest rates, we think that those segments of the economy might be under some pressure. Um, Some of the positions that you mentioned there, and by the way, we list all of our holdings on cloudetfs.com and they're subject to change. uh, But some of those positions do reflect that strain that we see emerging in the consumer landscape and specifically in the credit areas. Got it. Mr. Russo saying the consumer is a bit stretched, looking for companies with recurring revenues. Great to see you as always. Thank you. Thank you. All right, we are following a developing story this morning. The investment and business world paying their respects to Berkshire Hathaway Vice Chairman Charlie Munger. The company and his family announcing yesterday that Munger passed away at 99 years old. He was only just about a month away from his 100th birthday. Munger's being remembered as an investing genius and Warren Buffett's right-hand man for nearly 50 years in a statement. Buffett saying in part, quote, Berkshire Hathaway could not have been built to its present status without Charlie's inspiration, wisdom, and participation. Our Becky Quick has more on the life and the legacy of Charlie Munger. Charlie Munger was best known as Warren Buffett's right-hand man, their investing partnership dating back decades. I would say that every time I'm with Charlie, I'll get at least some new slant on an idea that, that causes me to rethink certain things. And, and we've had absolutely, we've had so much fun in the partnership over the years. It's been almost hilarious. It's been so much fun. 
Buffett credits the Berkshire Hathaway vice chairman with teaching him the importance of paying up for high-quality businesses. When he weaned me away from the idea of buying very so-so companies at very cheap prices, knowing that there was some small profit in, and looking for really wonderful businesses that we could buy at fair prices. It's not that much fun to... Uh by a business where you really hope this sucker liquidates before it goes broke. The willingness to pay for quality paid off for Munger and Buffett in deals like their 1972 purchase of C's Candies and their decision in the late 1980s to buy a substantial stake in Coca-Cola. Before his Berkshire days, Munger owned his own successful investment firm and practiced law. In 1962, he and a group of attorneys founded Munger Tolls, now known as Munger Tolls and Olson, a very prominent law firm. Munger, like Buffett, grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, and as teenagers, they both worked at Buffett's grandfather's grocery store, but not at the same time, as Munger was seven years older. It wasn't until Buffett was in his late 20s and Munger was in his mid-30s and living in California that they were introduced to each other by mutual friends. We had dinner together in 1959. In five minutes... Charlie was rolling on the floor laughing at his own jokes, and I do the same thing. They began to spend hours each week on the telephone, talking investments, and Buffett urged Munger to trade in a career in law for one in investing. I met Charlie, and he was practicing law, and I told him that was okay as a hobby, but it was a lousy business. <laughs> so he, he Fortunately, wanted... I listened. <laughs> From 1962 until 1975, Munger's investment partnership produced a 19.8% compound annual return versus just 5% for the Dow. It wasn't until 1978 that Munger formally joined Berkshire as vice chairman. But Munger's even-tempered, risk-averse, and pragmatic approach to investing was a major influence on Buffett from the time they first met, helping Berkshire Hathaway grow into a multi-billion dollar conglomerate that owns well-known businesses like Dairy Queen, Geico, Hellsberg Diamonds, and Burlington Northern. Munger, however, didn't limit himself to just Berkshire. He was chairman of Wesco Financial from 1984 until 2011, when it was totally assimilated into Berkshire. During those years, he was known for his deadpan humor and straight-shooting style at shareholder meetings, where he interacted at length with his investors. After Wesco, Munger moved the show and his growing collection of fans to another company where he remained chairman, the Daily Journal. Charlie? Yeah? One of my favorite lines from you is you want to hire the guy with the IQ of 130 that thinks it's 120, and the guy with an IQ of 150 who thinks it's 170 will just kill you. You must be thinking about Elon Musk. (laughs) (laughs) He brought his blistering one-liners to Berkshire Hathaway's annual meetings, too. What I needed to get ahead was to compete against idiots. And luckily, there's a large supply. Professional traders that go into trading cryptocurrencies... It, it's, it's just disgusting. It's like somebody else is trading turds and you decide I can't be left out. Charlie's big on lowering expectations. Absolutely. That's the way I got married. My wife lowered her ex- expectations. And despite a net worth of around $2 billion, for Munger, money wasn't everything. All you succeed in doing in your life is to get early rich from passive holding of little bits of paper. And you get better and better at only that for all your life. It's a failed life. Life is more than being shrewd at 
passive wealth accumulation. Well, with that, we're through. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's now get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good Wednesday morning to you. Well, billionaire investor Mark Cuban is apparently selling a majority stake of the Dallas Mavericks to Miriam Adelson and her family. Now, this is according to sources telling CNBC that Cuban will still own a stake in the NBA team and will run basketball operations. Now, this comes after Las Vegas Sands announced Adelson would be selling $2 billion worth of Sands stock, or roughly 10% of her stake, to buy a professional sports team. Adelson and her family are the largest shareholders in Las Vegas Sands. Shares are falling ahead of the open. Apple is apparently trying to unwind its credit card and savings account partnership with Goldman Sachs. Sources telling our Leslie Picker that Apple has given Goldman a proposal to do so within the next year or so. Now, if the move were to happen, it would mean Apple would have to find a new financial partner for its credit card and savings account and would mark the end of one of the most high partnerships between a bank and tech company. And Disney CEO Bob Iger reiterating his message. He is looking to build again at the entertainment giant. Iger making those comments during an employee town hall event yesterday, saying his three priorities for building next year involve expanding theme parks, developing a full ESPN streaming service, and improving the studio business. And Frank Iger also downplayed speculation. Disney is planning to sell a number of key media assets. Really? You know, a lot of stories are out there who's going to sell the local TV business, right. maybe even spin off ESPN. Mm-hmm. So we'll just have to continue to watch and see. Oh, Disney, we sure will. Yeah, Disney share is fractionally higher. Silvana, we'll see you later in the show. See you later, Frank. Thank you. All right, well, the earnings parade, not over just yet, even though about 95% of companies have reported. Salesforce prepares a report after the close today. Shares are up more than 70% this year, getting a boost from a stronger-than-expected economy and a lot of enthusiasm around artificial intelligence. For the quarter, revenue is expected to increase by 11% year-over-year, EPS by more than 47%. A key focus for investors, that's margin, following pushes for profitable growth by activist investors earlier this year. The estimate for operating margin is just over 30% compared to around 22.5% just a year ago. Also top of mind, current remaining performance obligations. That's the amount invoiced or expected to be invoiced to customers over the next 12 months. It's often seen as a proxy for demand and for pricing power. Analysts expecting that number to come in at just over $23 billion, up 11% year over year. 
For much more on what to expect, let's bring in James Demmer, Chief Investment Officer of Main Street Research, which currently owns shares of Salesforce. James, good morning. Thank you for being here. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm good. Uh, give us a sense. What are you expecting from this report? And then also, what are you expecting from the call with CEO Mark Benioff, who's often been very candid about challenges facing the business? Yeah, he's candid. And, you know, I think really here, all investors, and of course, us included as a shareholder, um, we really want to, this is the show me quarter. Uh, it's a revenue quarter. We need to see uh, this time, you know, revenue really exceed or at least meet the expectations that you just outlined, um, you know, as opposed to the cost cutting efforts that have increased the margins uh, for the last 18 months. They've really kind of grown earnings more by cost cutting uh, in the last, uh, you know, let's say year and a half. Um, where revenue and sales was sort of the back seat. And we think that this is the, this is the core. We really want to be looking at that top line growth. Are they able to leverage a lot of these new products they have and that very big customer base and get that revenue number to, you know, kind of at least meet that 11% right. number that the street expects, but even Got more. It. So you're mentioning new products that includes AI cloud solutions. And of course, it's Einstein AI chatbot. What are you expecting when it comes to that? And what metrics are you looking at when it comes to demand? Um, a lot of people focus on current remaining performance obligations. Is there one that you're focused on? Well, that's definitely one of them. You, you want to make sure, you know, that number, which a lot of companies this quarter missed, right, on that, on that customer, you know, paying this for the rest of the year. As, as some people are cutting back budgets, right, with the uncertain economy. So that's going to be one of those metrics. Uh, but, you know, again, this is a very big installed base they have. And we're very curious, you know, not only in the numbers of the revenue, but in Mark's and the team's comments on the conference call, where is that revenue coming from? Right. You know, they have, a, a, as you mentioned, cloud-based but AI-driven suite of services now they didn't have before. And, you know, this large install base is now going to be learning more using AI, leveraging AI for their sales contacts, customers, uh, you know, data okay. going forward, the platform itself. And then, of course, you add on those acquisitions that they've made, which were very you're, creative. You're leading this. me, James. I'm going to talk acquisitions for a second. So remember, they acquired Slack for almost $28 billion back in 2021. They made some other acquisitions. At the same time, as the company's made more acquisitions, we see some executives leaving. Co-CEO Brett Taylor left, now Lydiani Jones, who was the CEO of Slack, leaving. Does that concern you at all, the fact that we're seeing executives leave? It you know, that never makes us feel comfortable. Um, but on the other hand, the management team led by Mark, uh, we think is maybe one of the best uh, in, in the world, particularly in the CRM world uh, yeah. relative yeah. to Oracle and Microsoft. Right. So we're not as concerned about those departures in some ways. It does make sense after they've built those businesses and they've been bought out. So we would not yeah. be concerned about that. And we do... Uh, as I was mentioning, think that, that right. now these businesses are accretive. James, i got to ask you one other question. Uh, CRM, Salesforce, trades at about 25 times forward earnings. That's lower than the NASDAQ at 29 times, but higher than the S&P at 20 times. What do you need to see here to add to your position? Are you thinking about maybe just taking some profit right here and trimming your positions? How are you viewing things right now? You know, I think this is the show me quarter. I think investors should own the stock here. Uh, we, we certainly going to hold our position. 
um, and where expectations are that they're going to beat uh, based on this AI cloud transformational ex- experience that their customers are going to get. Right. You know, and you're right, you know, the stock is cheap relative to NASDAQ. It's cheap relative to its earnings growth, which is above 30%. Um, and, you know, it is still 30% off its high. So we Good would point. suggest if you don't own it, you buy some here uh, and you add to it and, and to weakness. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. James Demmer, great to have you here. Salesforce shares up just about a half a percent. You have a great day. You too. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, family offices going private. The big shift in investment strategies by the firm serving ultra high net worth individuals. Much, much more in our Robert Frank when we return. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is a first for family offices. Those are the firms which serve ultra high net worth individuals now finding more of their money not in public equities, but rather in the private markets. Robert Frank joins us now with much more on this story. Robert, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Good to see you. Well, this is a big shift for family offices, which are now, of course, major players in financial markets. A survey by Camden Wealth and RBC found that family offices hold 29% of their assets in private markets. That includes private equity, venture capital, private credit, and direct ownership of private companies. Meanwhile, their holdings of publicly traded stocks fell from 31% to just under 25%. This matters because there are now more than 7,000 family offices around the world with over $6 trillion in assets. So they are very important right now to financial markets. And this move from public to private has accelerated after the, after the pandemic. Around 40% of them now plan to increase their investment in private credit and private equity. And they rank private equity and venture capital as the sectors they expected to have the highest returns in the coming months. Now, there are risks to all this. Moody's warned of potential systemic risk from the lack of transparency and the rapid growth in private credit. Private credit markets are expected to double over the next five years to over $3 trillion. But family offices, the good thing, have a lot of cash as a safety net with 9% of their total wealth in cash. That is nearly double the levels of 2021. And you can read more about family offices with our latest family office investor interview. That's with Josh Joseph of Big Plan Holdings. You can read that on CNBC Pro. Frank? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Robert, a lot of great stories about family offices on CNBC Pro. Um, I want to ask you, why are family offices making this shift? You mentioned some of the systemic risk, but what's the upside for them? Some of it was returns. You know, you look over the past decade when money and capital was basically free. So private equity did very well. Stocks have been volatile over that period. But a bigger reason is that a lot of these family offices were founded by entrepreneurs who started a company, sold it for a boatload of money, then had all this cash and started a family office. Now they kind of want to go back as entrepreneurs to help smaller private companies in the same industry often that they were in. So it's a way of them getting back into starting or helping a private company grow so they get the sort of psychological return of that as well as the capital return. All right. A lot of developments there with family offices. Our Robert Frank, great reporting as always. 
and always great to see you. Still on deck here in Worldwide Exchange, we have much more on the death of Charlie Munger and what Berkshire Hathaway investors are saying about the future of the conglomerate in the wake of Munger's passing. We'll be back right after this break. 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's still a lot more ahead here in Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. This morning, we're remembering Charlie Munger, the investment and business communities paying tribute to the investing legend and Warren Buffett's right-hand man. Stocks looking to get the November rally rolling again as investors increasingly look for signals of a Fed rate cut. Right now, futures are higher. And a powerhouse deal touching professional sports and the gambling sector reportedly involving billionaire investor Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks. It's Wednesday, November the 29th, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. As always, we're going to pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Take a look. We're in the green across the board right now. You can see the Dow a bit off of its highs, but it looks like it would open up about 100 points higher. You see the Nasdaq firmly in the green. Similar story for the S&P 500. We also look at the bond market this morning. Different story there. We're actually seeing yields come down a bit right now. Looking at the benchmark 10-year at 4.29, moving down a few basis points over the last few days. We also continue to watch oil ahead of tomorrow's OPEC Plus meeting. Reuters reporting that group members, they continue to hold talks on policy for next year, adding another delay to the meeting is not expected. Taking a look at oil prices this morning, we're seeing them stay about where they were just about a half an hour ago. WTI crude up one and a quarter percent. Brent crude up one percent. Natural gas off of its lows, but still firmly in the red, down more than one percent. All right, that's your morning money setup. Now we want to turn to a developing story. The investment and business worlds, they are paying their respects to Berkshire Hathaway Vice Chairman Charlie Munger. The company and his family announcing yesterday that Munger passed away at 99 years old. He was just about one month away from his 100th birthday. Munger's being remembered as an investing genius and Warren Buffett's right-hand man for nearly 50 years in helping the Oracle of Omaha shift his strategy to focusing on investing in great businesses at acceptable prices. In a statement, Buffett saying in part, that, quote, Berkshire Hathaway could not have been built to its present status without Charlie's inspiration, wisdom, and participation. And Apple CEO Tim Cook writing on X, a titan of business and keen observer of the world around him, Charlie Munger helped build an American institution and through his wisdom and insights, inspired a generation of leaders. For much more on Munger's legacy, let's bring in Barbara Goodstein, managing partner at R360, an ultra-wealthy community for centi-millionaires whose members include... Berkshire Hathaway Investors. Good morning. Great to have you here. Hey, how are you? So just give us a sense. Um, how did you view Charlie Munger? Did you know him personally? So I did not know him personally, but many of our members knew him personally. As you said, this is a community of centimillionaires, and a lot of people knew him and worked with him and invested in him. So obviously he's an investing legend. Um, I do have to ask, uh, as you know, the world continues to pay its respects and mourn his loss, does it change your view of the company that he helped shape and build, Berkshire Hathaway? Many of your members are investors. Not at all. In fact, uh, we think that Charlie Munger set the company up for this exact circumstance. What he did mirrors a lot of what our members do, both sitting on cash reserves and patiently waiting for favorable investment opportunities. And we think that he was as you said, a legend, he also was very focused on succession and legacy. And we anticipate that he built that legacy and that things will continue as they were. 
So you mentioned many of your members, again, of R360. It's a community of ultra-wealthy investors, many of them centimillionaires, which means you have over $100 million. Many of them knew Charlie Munger. Uh, give us a sense. I'm sure you guys often talked about Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, and their strategy. How has it informed your investing decisions and the decisions of the group? Well, and Charlie Munger said it takes character to sit with all that cash and do nothing. And that is exactly the investment philosophy of our group. They want to wait until they find the right investment as opposed to just chasing mediocre opportunities. So Charlie Munger led the way and our members followed that philosophy completely. He also, I have to say, connect with, connected with our membership on multiple levels. He was a tremendous philanthropist and he was very, um, he had great integrity. And so we really saw a lot of wonderful things there and we were very happy to follow him and work with him. So again, Charlie Munger, for people just joining us, passing away at 99 years old, just about a month shy of his 100th birthday. Um, you know, obviously he's being mourned all around the investing community. You also mentioned his charitable efforts. So just really being mourned by so many people in so many areas. I do want to look ahead uh, to the next Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Um, he was obviously a staple at those meetings, known for his one-liners, his insights. Um, I'm sure many of your members attend those meetings. How does that change without Charlie Munger? Well, obviously it's not going to be as fun, but um, I think that the the business goes on. He set the business up to go on. Uh, he's very focused on succession. And I think he was as determined to make sure that the business continued in the right way through the right investment philosophies. He trained a lot of people under him and they're going to continue doing what they did just to show how Warren Buffett has confidence in the in the company, he spent $7 billion repurchasing Berkshire Hathaway stock over the past year. So it's a nothing has changed. They built a tremendous company, and the only difference will be it might not be as fun anymore. Well, that's a great point right there. So one thing you just mentioned, I do want to talk to you about. Again, we are mourning the loss of Charlie Munger. He passed away at 99 years old. But you did mention succession. Uh, obviously, this is a very large publicly traded company. How are you viewing the succession plan and the people in place? Well, the, the people in place are the people who are driving the business on a day-to-day -day basis. Our members are not inclined to make any changes, and they're anticipating opportunities that are going to emerge right now because they've been sitting on such a tremendous cash position. So our members, just like Charlie Munger, are patiently waiting for favorable investment opportunities. All right, Barbara Goodstein, managing partner of R360, a community of ultra-high net worth investors. Many of your members knew Charlie Munger. Thank you again for your time and your insight. Thank you. All right, time now for a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana. Hey, Frank, I'm back. Good morning. Well, the fallout from Okta's cybersecurity breach last month rolling on. In a letter to clients, the company says data from all of its customers were compromised, making the attack far more harmful than originally believed. Okta warning, customers now are at greater risk of further attacks or phishing attempts, though ads it's, that adds its clients in government or the Department of Defense Environment, sorry, sorry about the environment, were not impacted. Individuals whose data had been downloaded will be notified by Okta as it conducts a digital forensics investigation. New details on Meta's policies around political advertisements ahead of the 2024 election. 
The social media platform says advertisers must disclose the use of artificial intelligence when altering images and videos in certain political or social issue campaigns. In a blog post, Meta's president of global affairs, noting the new policies are broadly consistent with how the company has handled advertising rules during previous election cycles. The decision follows criticism over Meta's past involvement with political ads, including failure to account for and reduce the spread of misinformation during the 2016 presidential election. And Congress apparently reversing its stance on Chinese tech. Bloomberg says U.S. lawmakers are planning to drop curbs around investments in the foreign technology as it prepares to pass the final version of the annual defense policy bill. Now, if the investment curbs had been implemented, U.S. companies would need to notify the government of certain investments in China and other higher countries as part of a wider crackdown on China by the Biden administration. Now, the Senate overwhelmingly approving the bill earlier this year but faces increased pressure by the House Financial Services Committee, Frank. All right, Savannah, thank you very much. All right, we wanted to turn now our attention to another developing story this morning. Billionaire investor Mark Cuban apparently selling a majority stake of the Dallas Mavericks to Miriam Adelson and her family. Our Contessa Brewer joins us now with much more on this story. Contessa, this is a really big story touching the NBA and the gambling sector. Yeah, it's true, uh, Frank. Mark Cuban previously said he would never sell, that he didn't really need $3 billion. This deal would value the Mavericks at $3.5 billion, according to the Associated Press. A source close to the deal confirms Cuban will keep a stake in the team and run basketball operations. Now, the NBA hasn't commented. Emails to Mark Cuban have not been returned, at least not to me. And the Mavericks referred us to the Adelsons. In a filing yesterday, Las Vegas Sands announced its biggest shareholder, Miriam Adelson, would sell $2 billion worth of shares, part of her and her family's 56% stake in the company inherited when founder, CEO, and chairman Sheldon Adelson died in 2021. The sale represents about 5% of overall shares in the company, with the Adelsons keeping 51% ownership. Sand says it will buy $250 million worth of those shares. Its board authorized $2 billion for repurchases through 2025 in the company when the company announced third quarter earnings. This is a big new focus for returning capital to shareholders, the biggest of which are the Adelsons. Let's go back to basketball. The deal is subject to league approval. Last year, Cuban said he was interested in partnering with Sands on a new arena and casino resort should Texas legalize gambling? And state lawmakers failed to move forward on that this year, Frank. So, Contessa, obviously, it's a very big story again for not only the world of sports with the Dallas Mavericks. They have a you know, big superstar on their team, uh, Luka Doncic, but also in the gaming world. Give us a sense. Um, what's in this deal for the Adelsons, again, sharing part of their stake in Sands to buy the majority stake in the Mavericks? Yeah, I mean, this is really unusual because... The Adelsons as a couple, Dr. Miriam and Sheldon, were known as this power couple. Uh, They made a record donation in 2020 uh, election cycle, more than $200 million to Republican and conservative causes. She's known for philanthropy about Jewish causes and also as an expert on addiction. The interesting thing that gets me here is I know Las Vegas Sands has spent a lot of money lobbying for gaming licenses in Texas, hoping that this, what they consider a super state, would come online and open the door and pave the way for a casino and sports betting there in Texas. It hasn't happened yet. 
There are conflicting reports about whether that's likely to happen. But if you look at New York or Florida or the fact that California has tried and failed, a lot of gaming insiders think it's going to happen. That's one. Number two, if you look at New York, where three downstate licenses are up for grabs for casinos, Las Vegas Sands, again, has spent a lot of time, effort, money, and energy trying to secure a gaming license on Long Island. What they finally said is, look, we're going to develop uh, an integrated resort. Whether or not we get the casino license, we're going to have this resort. So could this be a back way in getting community support for the development and then trying to concert, uh, to get a casino license around the Dallas Mavericks arena? We'll have to wait and see. Speculation on my part, but I think that that could be coming into play, Frank. Yeah, we'll certainly have to wait and see. I'm sure at some point we're going to hear from Mark Cuban. He's not too shy about the media normally. Maybe this deal still unfolding. Las Vegas Sands shares down more than 5% right now. Contessa, always great to see you. Thank you. Thanks, Frank. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, our AI theme week, it continues. We look at one of the biggest benefactors of the Red Hot Tech's rise, chips, a.k.a. semiconductors, and who our next guest says is the clear leader when it comes to supplying that critical component. We're going to give you that name coming up next. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Tomorrow marks the one-year anniversary of ChatGPT's public launch. And all week long, we're highlighting the various industries and companies impacted by the artificial intelligence boom. Today, we're talking chips and which names are poised to win the AI arms race. While NVIDIA may seem like the clear winner, there may be some under-the-radar chip makers quickly making their way to the top. Joining me now to break it all down, Matt Bryson, Senior Equity Research Vice President at Wedbush. Matt, good morning. Good morning. All right, let's start with the big name when it comes to AI and chips, NVIDIA. Uh, most estimates show them having about 80% of that AI chip market, maybe even more. Going into 2024, does that dominance change in any way? Are there any rising competitors that investors should know about? So, Frank, I, I think there's some other companies with, with interesting technology. But to put things in perspective, um, NVIDIA is doing 14, or it, we think they're going to do about $14 billion um, in data center GPU revenue in, in Q4. Um, when I look at AMD, it, it's meaningful for AMD if they do north of $2 billion next year, which is what they've guided for. Um, I, I think estimates on the street are actually closer to 3 to $4 billion. Um, but still, look at that. The second most competitor NVIDIA is doing, looking at doing $14 billion this quarter. All right, so it sounds like you're saying they have a pretty wide moat as of now um, that's going to extend at least in the near term. It, it, exactly. It's they're just so much bigger that it's right. it's difficult to see anyone where, again, for AMD, that that amount of revenue is certainly meaningful. Um, it, it's just hard to see anyone getting to the volume that it, that it matters for, for NVIDIA in the near term. All right. Um, I want to talk to you about some news yesterday. Amazon out with an AI chatbot for businesses. As we see more companies expand their artificial intelligence offerings, what does that mean for the chip sector? And does that does that create other companies that are going to rival with NVIDIA? The fact that there's more and more demand for these AI products. I, I mean, I, I think that you need uh, those applications to show up. So what we've been seeing so far is companies using a significant number of chips to train models. Um, the, those models are nice, but they, they don't drive revenue. So when you get applications like what Amazon came out with, uh, that drives inference, um, which are... Those inference applications, those are what would drive revenue, would uh, make it worthwhile to invest more. And, and yes, when you when you look at those use cases, um, those use cases are different. 
Um, they require slightly different technology. And so it d- does create an opportunity for a company like, say, Brock, a startup uh, to gain share where their their technology is really well-suited to large language model inference. Yeah, I, I do want to talk to you about that. So first, I want to circle back. Again, you're saying NVIDIA is far and away the leader. You're, uh, your price target on NVIDIA is 600, trades at about 41 right now. Um, give us those other under-the-radar plays, maybe some private companies or startups and also other public companies that investors may be overlooking but could play a meaningful part in this AI story. Yeah, certainly. So I, I think you can group it into three categories. So you've got the other public companies out there. I think AMD, um, they've gotten traction in supercomputing. Um, they're second to NVIDIA in revenue. Um, the, they're the one to watch on the pu- public company side. It, Intel's a little bit smaller. Um, on the private company side, the two that stand out to me are uh, Cerebrus. So really high-end training. Uh, but they've they've gotten some big wins, uh, particularly a company called G42, um, and then Grok. Um, they, they, their technology seems just seems to fit really well with inference. They've just started ramping uh, in terms of selling units, um, and then the, the last piece, I think probably the, the piece that um, is furthest along is the products that the hyperscalers themselves or the CSPs are making. Um, so you've got okay. uh, Amazon talking about Inferentia and Tranium. Um, you've got um, Google with their TPUs, um, and you've got a couple suppliers into that market. So Broadcom is the biggest. Um, they supply into, I believe, uh, both Google and uh, Meta. Okay. And, and then I believe you have Marvell helping Microsoft. All right, a lot to cover here. Matt, we could talk about this all day. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate it. And coming up Thanks, on December sir. 6th, join the CNBC Work Summit to hear from leaders and experts on the future of work and AI. Just scan the QR code on your screen to learn more. You can visit cnbcevents.com slash work. All right, coming up here in Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus the sector. Our next guest says is being overshadowed by tech and deserves investor attention. We'll be right back with that. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with Berkshire Hathaway announcing yesterday Vice Chairman Charlie Munger has passed away at 99 years old, roughly one month away from his 100th birthday. He's being remembered as an investing genius and Warren Buffett's right-hand man. Billionaire investor Mark Cuban reportedly planning to sell a majority stake of the Dallas Mavericks to the Adelson family. Las Vegas Sands announcing the Adelsons will be selling $2 billion worth of Sands shares to buy a sports team. Sources telling CNBC that Apple is looking to unwind its credit card and savings partnership with Goldman Sachs. The move is expected to happen within the next year or so. And shares of Tuan plunging on warnings of potential fourth quarter weakness due to a slowdown in food delivery revenue. This despite reporting a threefold increase in profit during the most recent quarter and announcing $1 billion in share buybacks. And shares of NetApp moving in the opposite direction, surging after posting strong earnings and beating third quarter guidance expectations. The stock now set to open at a fresh 52-week high today. As we gear up for the trading day ahead, let's get another look at the futures right now. You can see the Dow looks like it would open up just about 100 points higher. The Nasdaq basically half a percent higher. The S&P also firmly in the green. For much more on the market day ahead, let's bring in Jeffrey Kleintop, Chief Global Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab. Jeff, good to see you. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. All right. So I know there's some reports that you're looking at later in the day. I just want to take your temperature. Uh, we're seeing futures up pretty strongly right now. With that in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? My word of the day is anecdotes. 
Usually anecdotes aren't considered data, but that isn't the case when the Fed's beige book comes out at 2 p.m. today. The Fed uses this collection of anecdotes from banks and businesses across its districts to gather insights into the lag pace of rate hikes and labor issues and rising loan delinquencies and the ongoing manufacturing downturn, which may impact the outlook for the timing of the pivot to rate cuts next year. Frank, I'll give you a quick example of a beige book anecdote ahead of the last Fed meeting. Staffing firms noted that candidates were more realistic in their salary expectations. And a firm in Philadelphia noted that candidates were more willing to accept positions they may have otherwise turned down in recent months. So I think this is an interesting take on the labor market that's hard to glean from just the overall job numbers. All right. You know, actually, I want to get your take on something, Jeff. Uh, Ed Yardeni, uh, noted market voice, came out with a note earlier today, first thing this morning, talking about the Fed's uh, policy and the possibility of rate cuts. Here's what he's saying in part. The federal funds rate peaked just before eight of the past 10 recessions. It plunged during all of them. The optimists, which is, includes him, are not expecting a recession through the end of 2024. So we expect that any rate cutting by the Fed next year will be limited to maybe two or four cuts of 25 basis points. Uh, we also had Bill Ackman coming out saying he expects a cut in Q1. Agree or disagree? And how do you see the possibility of cuts next year, maybe in Q1, impacting the market? Yeah, the market's currently pricing in the rate cuts beginning in in uh, April. And I don't disagree, maybe sometime in the second quarter. But I think uh, the tone of what you just talked about is right. The, the We're not going to cut all the way back down to zero again. I'm not sure how many rate cuts to expect. Maybe it's two, maybe it's three. But I think the Fed is willing to leave rates higher for longer. We've heard that phrase a lot lately. And I think that could mean maybe some negatives for some of the, uh, the, the market's biggest, most favorite sector, tech, which is so liquidity sensitive. Maybe we don't get that reversal. Reversal, that flood of liquidity that the market's hoping for with aggressive rate cuts next year, but maybe more modest moves as we right. uh, assess the, the impact of inflation going forward. All right. So everybody's focused on tech, whether it's mega cap tech, Magnificent Seven, or just the broader tech space. Again, Salesforce reporting after the bell today. But you're saying there's one sector that may be overlooked right now. Yeah, I'm excited about financials. I think it deserves more attention. For the second year in a row, European financial stocks are outperforming U.S. financial stocks by a wide margin, 70 percentage points this year. European banks are benefiting as rate hikes have removed this effective tax that was imposed by negative deposit rates. They were having to pay the ECB when rates were negative, and that hurt their uh, their asset portfolios. That's turned around. Their profitability is way up, and the potential for a steeple, steeper yield curve next year may favor banks across the world. So I'm, I'm more excited about Europe because they don't have that commercial real estate exposure or the rising delinquencies or defaults we're seeing in the U.S., but I think an overweight to financials could pay off over the next six months. So one last quick question, Jeff. We got to get out of here after this. You're also looking at another economic report out later today, the OECD economic outlook uh, for 2024. So the last report showed growth in the U.S. in 23 at 1.6 percent, but next year declining to 1 percent. Is that a potential market mover in your mind, this report? It's possible. It just came out a couple of minutes ago. I was just glancing at it. It looks like that reversed. The OECD now sees U.S. growth slowing to 1.5% next year from 2.4% this year, and the eurozone emerging from a mild recession. So the OECD typically lags the revision trends of private sector economists, but the data can reveal how the overall global picture is shaping up for companies with global sales and operations around the world. So it'll be interesting to see how this report is digested. Jeff Klontop with the very latest. Great to see you as always. Thank you very much. Thanks, Frank. And thank you all for watching. we got Squawk Box coming up next. Have a great day.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 